you know, if you're a big portfolio company and you breach a covenant in one of your debt contracts, you call up your bank and they work out a plan. They're not like, great, the first thing I want to do is drive you into bankruptcy because there's not that much money there, right? Yeah, exactly. If someone takes over long weekend tomorrow without you, you know, they're not going to get all of the value that you can extract from it, right? Right. There's a little bit of inventory, but someone's got to run that brand. Maybe they'll sell it to TJ Maxx for 10 cents on the dollar. You can get a lot more value out of it. So I always encourage people to make those calls and try and extend that runway. This is Limited Supply, the place for refreshingly real takes on what D2C is really like. We're your hosts, Nick and Moyes. Let's start talking about money. So I love Tapcart. It's a drag and drop builder that turns your Shopify store into a native mobile app in just a few hours. The average time to launch an app live in the app store is just about two weeks. Crazy stats, average 43x ROI, high conversion and retention rates, 100% organic reach per push, push notification CTR 7x higher than email, over 92% engagement rate. So limited supply listeners get their first two months of Tapcart for free. So you'll actually be able to launch your app live and test this new owned sales and marketing channel. Head to tapcart.com limited. That is tapcart.com limited to book a demo and start building your app today. You won't regret. All right, we're back. Episode five. We have officially cracked the top 10 according to the chartable charts, which is, I think, the go-to. So we debuted at five in the U.S., in marketing and eight in the UK. We held steady in the UK. US, we dropped down to 13, <laughs> but in the UK, they love us. So I think we've got like six fans in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. I'm big in the Cotswolds, actually, in the Cotswolds <laughs> region. That's where I'm big. Yeah. In Canada, like Canada <laughs> couldn't give a shit. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> they were like, I think near 100 or something. They were just like, yeah, we don't care. Well, I'm excited that we cracked, like, you know, it's basically the first time I've seen so much content being produced, but like, you know, it's finally starting to roll out. Yeah. I know we've been recording for a while. Super excited, uh, excited about episode five. We've got a bunch of stuff to cover, a bunch of stuff that's right on, uh, that's very timely in the industry. The first thing we're going to touch on is bankruptcies and direct-to-consumer. We've seen a bunch of brands not make it in the last few months. We're going to talk about that. On the flip side of that coin, we're going to talk about overvalued startups. If, you, if you're a direct-to-consumer brand and you raised money six months ago, eight months ago, a year ago, and you're trying to raise money again today, what are valuations looking like? Uh, and finally, we're going to touch a little bit about Clavio. Uh, they raised $100 million from Shopify. Unclear what that valuation is like. And are you uh, investing in Clavio? I'm not an investor in Clavio, okay. but I've got exciting. I, I know a, few, a little bit about Clavio investing that hasn't been uh, disclosed, and I want to disclose it when we get to it. Let's go. Okay. But first things first, we're going to touch upon uh, direct-to-consumer businesses that sort of just have not survived. Before we start, I want to make sure that we're really clear. It's not that they haven't survived because you know there, there's been economic recession, a downturn in the direct-to-consumer industry. Logistics are much much more difficult than they used to be. Uh, so it's not necessarily the fault of the founder. It's just things didn't work out. Yeah. I like or, to usually say like the car was moving. It just ran out of gas before it had to like get where it needed to go. Yeah. That's a, yeah, you know? before, yeah, that's a great point. It's not point. that it was a bad driver. Yeah. And it turns out that there's far fewer gas stations in the world today than there were six months ago in terms Truth. of investment dollars. Well, let's talk about a few of them. A few of them we can talk about. A few of them we can't. Touch a Modern, which was really public, uh, was a large men's flash sale site that didn't make it. A Prey, which we might have actually touched on in one of our earlier did, calls. Yeah. They didn't make it. There was an Instagram post about it. One brand that's going to be announced 
Uh, we're recording this on a Wednesday. It's going to be announced a few days from now. House, which you're uh, an investor in, Nick. So yeah. curious to get your opinion. A couple other brands that I'm an investor in or an advisor or at least talk to the founders once in a while have reached out to me and said, hey, we're having a bit of a tough time. What should we be thinking about? And so I really want to discuss this. One is maybe we can touch on like uh, what happens when a business goes bankrupt. Have you seen these bankruptcies in the past or you haven't? You know, I've just seen like businesses go bankrupt. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, this is also the first time I'm seeing it on the other side where it's like, oh, I didn't realize when a business goes bankrupt, there's actually another company that tries to sell it. And yeah. there is this other side, which now I'm looking from this angle of like, oh, these are actually opportunities to go buy businesses. Yeah, I'm on that angle sometimes and sometimes on the angle of, oh, all of my dollars I invest in this business are now worthless. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there are a few angles to look at bankruptcies from. I guess maybe we can touch on like what happens. Generally, what happens in a bankruptcy is another entity will start running your business or at least run an auction process for your business and start saying, okay, who wants to buy this business? Uh, you know, there's multiple ways we can sell it. We can sell it as a going concern, as a business that it is, and sell you everything that's associated with it. And you go forward uh, with this business and have a wonderful life. And you own all the assets of the business and none of the liabilities because mm -hmm. those have gotten washed away in the bankruptcy. One of the other ways is like, you know, we can sell it by in, in terms of parts. Mm -hmm. We have an email list. Maybe we can sell the email list to 10 different people because everyone's interested right. in the native deodorant email list because yeah. it has a bunch of women who are wealthy and are willing to spend a lot of money on personal care and probably beauty products. So maybe, list. yeah, 10 different people are willing to buy that list. And like, you know, maybe other people are willing to buy the IP. You know, the IP we can only sell once, right. the trademark, the logo, any patents or anything to that effect. And so there are multiple ways to sell a business. And then there's another thing that you can do is just say, wind it down entirely. Hey, there's no buyers for this business. Right. Let's try and sell whatever inventory we can, return as much of that money as we can to the creditors, the lenders of the business, and then we all go home. Usually you see brands trying to get sold for parts. You know, sometimes it's the email list. Sometimes it's the logo that's worth some money. Sometimes it's the inventory. Rarely is it sold as a going concern, although it is once in a while. You know, I've looked at a few of these recently and I get excited about them because I always feel like it's going to be this flash sale for a business. And you're like, okay, here's this business. Something happened and it was terrible. You know, like it didn't work out for the founder. And that's really tough because they put their blood, sweat and tears into it. Yeah. Uh, but it's an opportunity to buy a business that might have been overvalued for a far reduced price. And so I, whenever I get on a call like this, I'm always pretty excited about the opportunity. Right. But there's almost always some crazy hair on the deal. Like, you know, we owe a lot of money to the state government for state sales tax because we collected it and uh, already spent that money and we don't have that money. And that liability goes through the bankruptcy. Like, you know, right. whoever buys this business still has to pay this money to the state sales tax. Or we took money for a year subscription. You know, someone bought a year subscription in January. They were supposed to get four boxes. They've right. only gotten one. You buy this business, you have to you ship have to, the other yeah. three or that customer is going to hate you forever. And so I've seen both of those things happen pretty recently. And it's been pretty crazy. But you were an investor in House. Tell me a little bit about how you found out and like, you know, how that made you feel, all that kind of stuff. Tell me a bit, bit about the details here. I think it was like a couple of Fridays ago. And basically, uh, Helena just called me and was like, hey, you know, just an FYI, like our, our car ran out of gas before yeah. the finish line. And it was like really close, but we just barely didn't make it. So House has Sharma Brands on as kind of like their internal button pushers for e-commerce. Yeah. Because there's no like internal e-commerce staff. And so- um, There's no internal e-commerce staff at House? <laughs> yeah, there was. And then that entire team- Got it. Uh, was let go. 
And so she was just calling to say like, you know, I don't know when you're going to get paid. There's a good chance you will get paid, but you know, like you can pause working right now and, you know, just basically pause. Cause like, I don't know what's next. Sure. And so I was, I, at first I was like really sad. I was like, damn, you know, like that was such an iconic brand. Like every uh, large alcohol company that I've worked with or talked to, whether it's Diageo, Anheuser-Busch, Beam Suntory, Bacardi, they all know House yeah. and they all admire House. Like their boards make massive decisions in the company as a result of House existing. I also think 90% of direct-to-consumer alcohol companies wouldn't exist today if House wasn't there. Like House kind of paved that way or opened that market or opened that door. But then the second thought was like, all right, well, you know, this is clearly like probably not the most exciting time for Helena. So like, what can we do to help? Yeah. And, She's great. Uh, what can I, we do to support I her? I chatted with her once on the, uh, pretty recently on the phone. She's a really wonderful person. I really like it. And, and you know, I'm constantly admire all of the founders of these businesses who are sort of winding up their businesses yeah, because they're always like, tough. I want to take care of my employees. Right. I want to make sure that the brand ends up in a good place. I'm trying to find somebody who will continue to run it. Because yeah. even though I won't have any financial stake in this business, I still want to see this business succeed because totally. I poured so much of my effort into this. And I'm always really impressed by that. I had a call recently with a brand that was uh, you know, doing so about $5 million in revenue a year or just a tad under. And they're like, you know, running out of cash They've fundraised and they're having a tough time fundraising. And, you know, a lot of these businesses like, you know, and I don't want to speak to any for any brand in particular, they think they've got a term sheet on the table or they think they've got an M&A deal on the table. And so they're like, look, we're not going to fundraise right now until we sell this business or right. we're not going to, you know, we're going to, we're about to sell this business. We don't need to fundraise or the money's going to come in, in two weeks. So we think we're in a good position. And then all of a sudden that, uh, that plan disappears. Yeah. And then you're, you know, sort of on the Creek without paddle. And uh, that's really tough. Totally. Um, there's this great brand in San Francisco called Chariot, and the guy, the CEO, the, told me this. The van, the vans. Yeah. yeah, he's like, we sold the business, and we basically had like uh, four thousand dollars left in the bank account when Ford bought the business. Oh my and god! And Ford bought the business. You know, they basically had to buy it, or we we're going to be out of money very soon. Ford bought the business, and we spent the next four thousand dollars because we we're going to have a party because the Ford, you know, the Ford team was there on that party. Uh, so uh, after wow. the, you know, they signed the docs, the deal was closed. We had $4,000. We spent it on food and alcohol and that was it. That was the end of that. Like we had no more cash and then for that to come yeah. in and sort of step in. But you know, that was planned for obviously by everybody. Um, and in any case, I, I was talking to this brand doing a few million dollars in revenue a year. And they're like, what should we do? And I was like, you really need to push all of your vendors and your suppliers for terms. Or if you're trying to pay back debt, you know, call your debt provider and say, Hey, look, we can't continue to pay $50,000 a month because we're going to be bankrupt. You'll basically get $50,000 in August and in September, you'll get nothing because yeah. we're going to be in an assignment for the benefit of creditors or in bankruptcy. So I say, call all of your vendors up and all the people that you're paying on a monthly basis up and say, look, we can't pay you $50,000 a month. We can pay you five. Right. And uh, you know we're committed that in a year and a half, we'll go back to $50,000 a month. Right. And we think you're going to like that because the alternative is you get 50 once and that's the end of the business and right. it's all over. Yep. And so uh, like I would call all of my vendors up. Like A lot of times your suppliers or manufacturers will also extend terms and you have to sort of pay it back in 90 days. I'd say the same thing, which is, look, we can try and pay back a portion of it slowly and sort of have this layaway plan where we paid, you know, you, we're, we're giving you a little bit of cash, but we pay you once the business turns around. Yeah. Because if we don't wait for that, we're going to run out of cash right now and this mm -hmm. business is over. Yeah. Um, so also, I've been encouraging um, everyone to do that. 
Yeah, totally. And also like, uh, you have it written here, but like some of the vendors to use to extend your payment terms, like last two episodes or last episode, we were talking about Parker a little bit, Yeah, which gives you 60 days. Uh, Wayflyer is a great one for ads. Settle is great too. You can just literally upload invoices. So like for our next production run, we have to sign up for Flexport, for example. Yeah. And you can pay with a credit card, but yeah. they're going to charge you 3%. Yeah. But I'm going to use Settle and I'll probably get 2% or 1.8%. Yeah. And so there's so many little hacks to just extend runway for an extra month or two months. Definitely. Yeah. And I, I even mean, like, let's say you've done that and you've gotten money with Settle or ClearBank or Wayflyer and you're having trouble, call them up and say, hey, look, we Wayflyer, we owe you a ton of money. Yeah. We can pay one more month and then we're bankrupt. Right. So can we start working on some terms to make it so that this is a little bit easier for us totally. so that we can turn their ship around and make this business better? And that certainly works with a lot of big debt providers like banks. You know, if you're a big portfolio company and you breach a covenant in one of your debt contracts, you call up your bank and they work out a plan. They're not like, great, the first thing I want to do is drive you into bankruptcy because right. there's not that much money there, right? Yeah, like exactly. If, if someone takes over long weekend tomorrow without you, you know, they're not going to get all of the value that you can extract from it, right? right. There's a little bit of inventory, but someone's got to run that brand. Maybe they'll sell it to TJ Maxx for 10 cents on the dollar. You can get a lot more value out of it. So I always encourage people to make those calls and try and extend that runway. Totally. Black Friday and Cyber Monday is just around the corner. In this economy, the brands that execute and own channel will dominate peak season this year. The time to build your subscriber list is now. How can your campaign get a herd above the noise? By getting on customers' home screens with a mobile app powered by Tapcart. By building your app subscriber list, this is where you own your customers. They want to hear from you. In fact, they expect to hear your great deals and unlike SMS, push notifications are free to send and the delivery is instantaneous. Get started right away at tapcart.com limited for two months free. That's more than enough time to launch your app and start building your push subscriber list before spending a dime. Again, that's tapcart.com limited. Let's switch to a different and slightly related gear, which is overvalued startups. Yeah. You know, a lot of brands that I've chatted with recently have fundraised in a seed stage valuation that is bananas. I was chatting with a brand the other day that's doing less than $2 million a year, and they'd raised, uh, they're like, we're trying to raise, you know, we raised at a $30 million valuation previously, and now we're looking to raise at a $50 million valuation. I never understood that game. Like, it's like, how are you going to do it the second time, you yeah. know? Like, what are you going to pull out of your hat? Yeah, and I'm like, you know what? If the, if this was 2021, or like, yeah. you know, the, and money was flush and everyone was super excited about it, you might yeah. be able to get away yeah. with this game of like, uh, you know, I'm willing to bet the business that I'm going to be able to raise at a crazy valuation. Right. That, that doesn't happen now. Like, you know, that is not going to happen. You are not going to be able to raise it a $50 million valuation. And yeah. I told them, I'm like, look, I'm interested in this business, but I have no, there's no opportunity. Like, you know, this brand is not worth $50 million. Yeah. You know, I sold my- sell for 500. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I <laughs> sold my brand for a hundred and we were doing north of 30 million in revenue a year. Like, you know, that was a three X valuation at much higher scale. Yeah. You want 25 X, you know, are you going to be able to get to 30 million? That's really unclear. And then everyone will only two X their money. You'll have to fundraise a lot between now and then. Yeah. And so what should these, like, you know, I've been thinking recently what, like, you know, if you're an overvalued startup and you sort of aren't ready to take the valuation ding, or maybe you are, how do you approach it? Like, what do you start talking about? Um, the way I think about it is first, it, it, like, look at the amount of runway you have. If you've got 
18 to 24 months of runway or 20, more than 24 months of runway, you're probably okay in that you can ride whatever downturn we're in right now and it's a little unclear for two years mm-hmm. and hopefully the economy's turned around and whatever valuation you had previously in 2021, you can get a jump from that in 2024. Right. But that's a lot of cash to have on hand to be like, look, I can hold this business for two years yeah. and then raise money. Right. So if you need money in the next 24 months and even worse in the next 12 months, I think there are a few things you've got to do. I think one is, you know, you've got to bring your operations to, you've got to like right size the ship, which is lower staff, lower marketing, Mm -hmm. probably make it so that you're break even or so that you can control your own destiny. And then I think you have- How many SaaS companies are just going on credit cards every month that people just ignore? What do you mean by that? Recurring charges on credit cards, you know, like Snipply that you used once three months ago and you don't use it anymore. Or, um, you know, these random little apps. Definitely. So many of them. Yeah, there's uh, there was a great tweet where there, there's something called like take my bill off or look at my bill or something where it basically yeah. looks at what subscriptions you have. And someone tweeted out, I had eight subscriptions. Truebill. So, Truebill, yeah. I yeah. signed up for Truebill uh, to find out what they were and cancel them. And now I have nine subscriptions because Truebill <laughs> is that too. And I was like, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there are a lot of hacks to try and reduce that burn. Yeah. One thing I always say is call up your credit card processing company, call up PayPal and try and reduce rates. Yeah. Because- for God's sakes, you'll get the exact same service. There's very few opportunities in the world to get the exact same service and product for just cheaper from the same vendor. And Stripe and PayPal and Braintree and Authorize.net are perfect vendors like yeah, that. Yeah, on the next episode, I'm going to teach you about procurement. And so that it's kind of related here too. I wonder what happens with these overvalued startups and how much of a haircut they have to take. Yeah. And are they like better you stomach it early than later. Because if things get a lot worse between now and six months from now, your $30 million valuation may come down to five and you know, you'll be, you won't have any equity. Left I, it's just like a net zero game. Like you're, you know, again, yeah. If your valuation drops six times, yeah, sure. You're still the CEO and you're still running this business and it's still worth a few million dollars, but like your investors just took a six X cut. Yeah. You know, and it's like just the biggest punch in the face to somebody who put money in. Yeah. And uh, there was that period like when we when we started doing our rumble and smoothie, uh, there was that period of like we would just laugh at some of these valuations of like that analytics company raising at almost 200 million and, you know, just basically starting right there, although they, it seems like they grew fast. But there's so many of these companies that were like, it was the standard to raise at $100 million. Dude, $100 million. That was yeah. a standard for a seed stage, sometimes pre-launch company. And then it seems like everything has kind of gotten more back to normal. And obviously, like, you know, Shopify's earnings coming out and showing like they're just barely above or I think actually barely below where they were pre-pandemic. I think all these things are slowly correcting the markets and things are slowly getting back to normal. But yeah, man, the overvalued startup game makes no sense because like, how are you going to do it again? You yeah. know, if you're valued at, let's say I said long weekends, a $20 million valuation. We've got, we've shipped over a hundred thousand bars and blah, blah, blah. All right. So 20, 20 million valuation. So you'd probably want to be doing at least like 9 million before you could go raise again. But what if you can't get to that nine? You sure. are screwed. Yeah. You're completely screwed. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really tough. And all the new investors will be like, why is it, why haven't you been able to succeed with all the money you've gotten? It's yeah. a big, it's a big punch in the face. Right. And uh, you're absolutely right. I think the, the next part of this conversation or the next uh, question people will have if they're listening to this is, okay, how do you figure out valuation then? And the right. way I always look, if you're in a seed stage round, it's a real art. 
because there's no way people are like valuing you on a function of uh, revenue or EBITDA. Chances are you might not have EBITDA. And if you, you know, if you have some, it's really, you know, it's growing and changing so much. And if you have revenue, it's probably growing and changing a lot too, right? I remember when I started Native, we went from about 7,000 a month to 100,000 a month in about six months. If you had valued us at the 7,000 a month, did we really increase our, the valuation of our business 20x or 18x between the seven and 100k right. month? Probably not. And so it's a real art rather than science. But if you're a more mature stage startup, uh, the one thing you can do is look at public comps. What are other companies in your business trading at? And you can try to do this in a public and private way. It's really hard in a private way, which is like, okay, you know, what business raised, like Athletic Greens greens raised recently? Okay, what was their revenue and how much did they raise and what was the valuation, right? Mm -hmm. You could say, okay, they raised it X valuation to their revenue. And a lot of that isn't public. So really hard to do for a brand like Athletic Greens. But, you know, look at publicly traded companies and at least you'll get some sort of sense of what the world looks like. Right. Like what does Procter & Gamble look like? I think P&G is generally like 5X revenue and like 20 some X earnings. Mm-hmm. You know, you might not have any earnings and, you know, you're growing way faster because P&Gs doesn't really grow at, uh, grow beyond inflation or anything. Or look at a smaller startup like Edgewell or right. look at a beauty company like Estee Lauder. Like right. put yourself in a world of like, what do other businesses, if, if I'm a mature business, what do other businesses in this category that are more mature than me, what do they trade at from a revenue and earnings perspective to get a sense of what the world looks like? And if you're going through m and I can tell you that the guy or woman who's buying your business is buying your P&L. Yeah. You know, she's going to have to sort of justify this. She ha- she's going to take a hit to her ca- the cash that she has to show that these earnings make sense and her bonus is going to be based on how well you do. So that stuff is going to matter. Yep. And if you're a small business selling to a small business that's public, you know, the CEO is going to, his salary, his compensation is going to be partly based on how well your company performs. So he's definitely going to be looking at your profit and your revenue. Totally. It's not just like people who are like, you know what, this brand is beautiful. Let's go ahead and yeah. put money in this. That's not what it is. This is a numbers game at that level. Completely agreed. Let's switch gears uh, one more time and talk about news from this week. Clavio got a $100 million investment from Shopify. I have this one piece of information I know about. So Clavio is raised, I remember, from a company called Summit Partners, yep. uh, which is a private equity firm based in Boston. I know they raised from them because when they, oh, when Summit, Summit also looked at, uh, at Native, mm-hmm. we ultimately didn't end up going with them, but they asked me a bunch of questions about Clavio. Uh, so I think they were looking at the Clavio deal while they were trying to buy Native. That's funny. And I remember I've gotten this piece of information from about 15 sources now, so I'm not revealing any sources. 15 people have told me, Clavio has no preferred stock. It only has common stock. Usually a company will have preferred stock to their investors. So let's say I invested a million dollars in long weekend at a $5 million valuation. Things didn't go well. It became bankrupt. I've got preferred stock. So uh, you issued me preferred stock when I invest in the million. That basically means that the first million dollars the business gets back, I get back first. So let's say the business sells for $500,000. I actually get all $500,000. And the rationale is I put in a million dollars. I'm not getting all of my money back. Right. I only got, uh, you know, but I put in the cash. So I should get my cash back first. Yep. Now, if the business ends up selling for 10 million, I don't get my million dollars first back. Uh, You know, we just split it immediately Mm because I get 2 million return. So usually businesses will issue preferred stock and investors will get preferred stock because they want their cash back before, you know, if the business doesn't do well. Right. Clavio is one of the few and maybe the only business I know of that has only issued common stock. So if I put in a million dollars in common stock, uh, if I bought a million dollars of stock of Clavio and the business sold for $100,000, I would be peripassy or equal to everybody else yeah. who had any stock. I wouldn't get my money back first. Right. 
which is really interesting. I'm not like, you know, it shows how strong Clavio is that they can get their investors to take common stock. I know of no other brand, like even Stripe issues preferred stock to their investors. Right. I know of nobody who issues common stock to investors except Clavio. It's a real sign of like a strength of a brand and a company to be like, look, I can give you common stock. I don't know what Shopify got yet. Yeah, it's almost like, well, if you want in, you come to us. We're not going to come to you. And you're on the same level as me. So I'm a founder. And every employee. Yeah, and every employee. Yeah, Yeah. You don't get your money back first. I think it's a great- culture hook. Like it's as an employee, I'd be thrilled to know that, you know, the founders like don't have any preference over me and, um, you know, everybody wins together. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. It's crazy. Or Um, we all lose together. Yeah. Yeah. I guess like, you know, Clavio is such a strong brand. I don't think there's a realistic possibility of it losing, Yeah, but it it is a real sign of strength. I'm not sure how much employees are cognizant of this. I, you know, I, don't, I, I take that back. I don't think, well, I mean- I've heard it from 15 different sources, ex-employees, a bunch of other people. And so yeah. maybe they are really smart about it. I do think though, there's like actually a huge opportunity of educating employees what stock is and how it works and how they make money and how they lose money and what how taxes work. I That's couldn't something I like don't even know personally yeah. still. Like uh, the difference between options on RSUs and when you've got to file documents and what taxes yeah. look like at the end of this is a huge black box. We got to get more into depth in this because Great. I think a lot of companies are giving out these options, but we're going to have to do that on another episode. Uh, the one thing I wanted to talk about was uh, about Clavio and Shopify though is we always talk about Shopify as an app store and Shopify has built this amazing backbone and they sort of have this free market app store. And like, I always encourage Shopify to build more native apps within their platform. Like they should have a subscription app. They should have, you know, a post-purchase upsell inside Shopify. They don't have a lot of those things. Then there's the idea that, okay, if they're not going to build them internally, there's this free market for them. The weird part is I feel like uh, Shopify is using like this Midas hand to select certain apps that are going to win. You know, they've invested in Affirm, they've invested in Stripe, they've invested in Yapo, I think Recharge, definitely Pipe, and now Clavio. And I wonder what type of benefit those brands get as a result of this investment. You know, so, you never see Apple investing in apps on their app store, right? You don't yeah, see Apple being like, it. oh, let's, in, let's invest in Uber. They're like, no, right? either we own it or it's an app store. Like, you know, this category is owned by the app store. It's not an investment. Yeah. So one, one of my portfolio companies is also invested in by Shopify. And basically- Is it um, gorgeous? Uh, no. Okay. But basically what they get is like, they do like a Shopify investor town hall. So like all their founders flew into New York a couple of weeks ago and like Toby's here and Harley's here and their VP of product. And I think it's just really access and like, how can we work together and how can we build shit that merchants need? And uh, they're super aware of what Shopify is working on launching in the next like two years and vice versa. And so I think it's really just access. Shopify should either have things natively or uh, be a free market for apps so that people produce the best apps. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like if I was after pay, I'd be like, what the fuck, you know, or yeah. Klarna or, yeah. um, you know, now. Uh, yeah. Omnisend or yeah, like, Help Scout. But uh, yeah. what else can you do? You're sort of in this space. You can't I mean, be like, I'm not uh, uh, doing anything for Shopify. Yeah. I now. think there's been like a few tweets where people have caught, you know, more promotion of like Yotpo, for example, yeah. on the Shopify app store. Also, I remember like Googling Shopify reviews and like Yotpo has that word to them or or there was something with Google search where I was like, this is kind of shady. I mean, I heard they invested in Yotpo because Yotpo is about to go public yeah. or was supposed to go public. Yeah. So it's like, all right, well, why would a CFO not put some money in and quadruple it? 
But yeah, it is kind of weird. I don't know that I like it that much because it's like playing favorites, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it doesn't give like, for example, like why why would somebody be motivated to go build the next reviews app or the next subscription app if it's like, well, I'm not going to be able to win exactly where, you know, I don't want to go deal with Magento customers and Salesforce customers. I want to win here. And these guys have already decided who they're going to win. Yeah. Yeah. They're putting a little finger down on the scale and being like, you yeah. know what? This guy's going to win. I, exactly. I couldn't agree more with that. Like, you know, imagine if Apple was like, you know what? We're going to invest in Lyft. Yeah. You know what? I would imagine that Uber's like, you know, you search Uber on the app store it and it's there. really hard to find yeah. it. Yeah. You know, it just seems like Apple would never do anything like that. They'd do yeah. a lot of things and they'll buy apps and they'll natively integrate them and they'll be like, you know what? You've got this app out there. Fuck you. We're going to make our own, right? Exactly. Like Gmail, uh, Google had in maps. They're like, uh, uh, you know, Google maps. They're like, we're going to create our own. P- a long time ago, people had a flashlight app. They're like, fuck it. We're going to create our own, right? Exactly. Th- that I can understand. They're like, look, we're going to take good ideas uh, and create them ourselves. Or we thought of these ourselves and we just didn't have time to yeah, release and, them. And, and, and all those we were also in the benefit of the end consumer. Yeah. Where I feel like this, I mean, Yapo is definitely not in the benefit of the end consumer and neither is recharge, but you know, it's, yeah, it's kind of weird. It's like choosing your favorite child and then being like, this one's going to Harvard and that one can fight on the street. Yeah, I've decided this, yeah, that's right. I, I'm spending all of my money to send this kid yeah. to school. Other kid, Oh, you need him. a car? Here's a Lamborghini and yeah. you get a 1984 Camry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. So Indian of you to mention a Toyota Camry. Yeah. <laughs> okay, awesome. Well, those are the th- things I wanted to chat about on episode five. Episode six, uh, you've, you created an agenda. I don't understand any of the yeah. Agenda. All right. So next episode, we are going to talk about uh, Canopy's president, Ali Webb, who's the founder of Drybar, Apple's DSP, which I read about today. And two more things I'll say. One is building companies on top of really hard industries, like really uh, where there's a lot of rules. And then the second one we'll talk about is procurement, because last night you were like, what the fuck is procurement? And I haven't been so excited to tell you about something <laughs> since for a while. Okay, So awesome. that's on the next episode. Okay. See you on episode six. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time to cut through the noise in CPG, retail, and e-commerce. And if you enjoyed this episode, then why not share it with a friend? And be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on.